0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards.
3: Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. What do the wealthiest fear the most about Brexit? In the countdown to June's referendum on Europe, we look at what's worrying the wealthy and what this means for the near-term investment outlook, and Stephanie Flanders is here to guide us through the consequences of Brexit, or Remain. And with ISACs are fast approaching, Fidelity's Micah Curry looks at how April's tax changes will boost the popularity of tax-free savings accounts for investors even further. But before you invest in funds, think about how fund managers' fees could erode your returns. We preview the FT's latest online investment tool. Welcome to the FT Money Show, The FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form, with the help of my FT Money colleagues Hugo Greenhouse and Naomi Rovnik, plus special studio guests Stephanie Flanders and Micah Curry. Would a Brexit make Britain's wealthiest dash for the exit? The fear that the super rich could say goodbye London, hello, Geneva, Singapore, or even New York in the event of a no vote is casting a shadow over London's status as a global financial capital. But should we let Project Fear colour our own perceptions of what this means for our money? I'm joined in the studio by Hugo Greenhouse, the FT's wealth correspondent. Hugo, thanks for joining us today. No, thank you. You've been listening in to the conversations that wealth managers have been having with their clients to gauge what's going on. So are London's wealthiest really quaking in their boots?
2: Well, I've had a very pleasant week talking to billionaires, as one does, to find out what their concerns are moving forward, particularly with Brexit looming on the horizon. They are remarkably sanguine uh, when it comes down to any concerns or fears, but there are some benefits uh, they've pointed out as well. First and foremost is the fact that Will there be extra inducements um, to the wealthy to come to London should the UK pull out of the EU? Will a big flag go up saying, well, okay, we'll offer you decent tax breaks, we'll offer you uh, further. Credits of some sort to ensure that London remains uh, or becomes rather the preeminent financial centre of the world, not just of Europe. So there are benefits there. There's also another one from the bankers as well. Now, the bankers have had their bonuses capped by the European Union. Yeah, correct? they don't like that. They don't like it at all. So there is a kind of groundswell of opinion, which is perhaps more personal than looking at the nation's interests, but which says actually putting out of the EU may not all be bad news for the wealthy.
3: But on the flip side, the political war that's broken out within the conservatives party is speaking the wealthiest why is that
2: ah yes now that's all down to dominoes basically and what what people see happening is that if brexit happens then a civil war could occur within the the tory party for the leadership and the idea of jeremy corbyn becoming prime minister in the next election starts to look possible and if that happens a lot of issues start to get thrown into play again not least the non-dom status mm. of the wealthy now just to explain what that is, that basically that if you are non-resident in this country, you can pay a levy uh, between £30,000 and £90,000 uh, instead of paying tax on your overseas earnings. So it's, it's a very, very big deal for a lot of the wealthy in London.
3: OK. And I'm going to bring in Stephanie Flanders at this point, Chief Market Strategist for Europe at JP Morgan Asset Management. Welcome to The Money Show. You've been analysing what effects the referendum has been having on the wider UK economy and sketching out scenarios for both Brexit and Remain. Talk us through these in order. First of all what's happened so far?
1: Well we've had a pretty clear effect on sterling which was what we expected actually. We didn't think that there would be a big problem in the gilt market, that there wasn't any big sovereign risk posed by this but uh, we had always thought that the pound would fall and it certainly has fallen by more than six percent on a trade-weighted basis since the start of the year. You might have expected a bit of that anyway, given that we're changing our expectations about what's happening to monetary policy. But we think almost all of that is due to fears over Brexit. Other things that are less easy to put your finger on would be if companies around Britain or indeed investors outside Britain are delaying investment projects Mm. for waiting to see what happens with the vote. But I mean, certainly from anecdotally, there's quite a lot of that around. So at least short term, that could be slowing investment. And in fact, we did see a, a fall in investment at the end of last year, although, of course, we can't say how much that was to do with uh, Brexit fears.
3: So if people did vote for Brexit, would it make this picture more negative? I think in the short run, you would see uh,
1: some of the negatives we've had, certainly with sterling, but also on the equity market, intensify. And I, But I think the, the big picture on Brexit is this enormous uncertainty, which would be both macroeconomic and microeconomic. And I think Hugo highlighted even in mm. his conversations with um, the billionaires that even within his two answers, he suggested there might be a there might be a good scenario in which Britain was falling over itself to lure billionaires to London <laughs> or a Corbyn scenario where presumably they wouldn't be doing that and in fact would be making it harder for billionaires to come just the sheer breadth of that from an investment standpoint is pretty alarming and it makes you think gosh are these long term benefits that they're being they're telling me about are they really going to be big enough to justify that amount of uncertainty and risk
3: and then finally what about Bromaine?
1: well i think we'd expect most of the sterling effect to unwind, though we can't be sure because there are some underlying reasons why you might have expected sterling to weaken anyway, not least the fact that we've got this big current account deficit. Certainly, if anyone's delaying any investment, you would think that, that effect would be reversed and i think some people are now looking at the uk market as one that looks relatively attractive because it has performed so badly over the last few years These hits for commodity sector and energy now maybe starting to starting to move but i think you know the, the, the broader picture is that you know why would you why would you want to have this much uncertainty come into the frame at a time when also, you know businesses have enough to worry
3: about indeed and finally i can ask this of of both of you what damage could Brexit potentially wreak on the London property markets.
1: Well, I think, again, it comes down to this uncertainty around not just the narrow city of London, but the broader role of financial services in the UK economy. It's much more important to us than to other European countries, you know, as a share of our GDP. We could be lucky. We could be in a position where actually Europe says we still want to encourage London as a financial centre, even if it's not in the EU. In that case, we might get quite a good deal on services. But the history suggests that the countries outside the EU, even those that have been able to get good trade deals... Have not got big arrangements on the services side, and that, if that damages London as a financial centre, that's going to be damaging to prime property in London, no question.
3: And Hugo, does that tally with what you're hearing?
2: I'm afraid it does. Damaging, as Stephanie says, is exactly the word. Uh, doom and gloom are two others. the The top end of the market, the super prime market, so looking at properties five, ten million pounds in London, it's already coming off. The properties prices are already starting to decline. So I've been talking to a whole range of property consultants this week, and they've been saying exactly the same thing. They're running scared, basically. Brexit would possibly mean an exodus of the wealthy, and if that happens, then goodbye to the super prime market in London.
3: Well, thanks very much. That was Hugo Greenhouse, the FT's wealth correspondent, and Stephanie Flanders' chief market strategist for Europe at JP Morgan Asset Management. You can read our full cover feature on what Brexit means for investors in FT Money as part of the Weekend FT, which is widely available on both Saturday or Sunday, or read us online ft.com slash money and follow us on Twitter at FT Money. Now, it's coming up to our favourite time of year as personal finance journalists, not spring you don't, ISA season. I'm joined in the studio by Micah Curry, FT Money's Income Investor columnist, and Naomi Rovnik, our digital editor. Micah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Claire. So two tax changes are coming in in the new tax year, which may change the way some investors arrange their ISAs. That's
4: right. Way. So we know George Osborne loves a little voter sweetener in the budget. Now, there are two very important changes coming in on the 6th of April that every saver and investor should take note of. The first is the personal savings allowance. So if you're a basic rate taxpayer, any interest you earn on the, to the value of £1,000 will be tax-free. Right. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, you can earn £500 tax-free. And if you're an additional rate taxpayer, I'm afraid there's no good news. However, this applies to all savings accounts, interest on bank accounts, Credit unions, building societies, peer-to-peer lending and even interest on government and corporate bonds as well as the interest distributions on corporate and government bond funds. The second important change is the dividend tax allowance. Now, we know that the way dividends were taxed is usually complex and it's a good thing that the Chancellor is changing this. The important thing to remember is as of the 6th of April... Every investor will have an allowance to the value of £5,000, and for a lot of basic rate taxpayers, this means that you'll actually pay less tax or no tax at all Mm -hmm. if your dividends are less than £5,000. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, you can earn £21,667 in dividend payments before your dividend
3: bill will come up. Okay, and given that a lot of investors use their ISA as a tax-efficient shelter for income-paying investments, does this call for a rejigging of investments? For example, does it mean that the ISA would be better used as a vehicle to shelter investments from capital gains tax?
4: Now, that's a question that's being increasingly asked because a lot of investors, especially retirees, use the ISA as a shelter for their dividend-paying and interest-paying investments. Now, a lot are saying, with these generous allowances, should we be rejigging our investments and instead focusing on capital growth when we're investing within that sort of tax-efficient cling wrap of the ISA? I think the important thing to consider is what type of investments you have And how large those investments are. Fundamentally, there's now a form of tax-free allowance for every type of investment. So income tax, dividends, interest, capital growth, alongside your annual ISA allowance. If you receive a lot of money into the form of dividends, the prudent thing to do is to shelter the highest paying investments within the ISA, and in this way you make your dividend allowance go further. The important thing to remember is that you're far better off starting with the ISA and wrapping your investments up in the shelter.
3: And Naomi, turning to you, you've been working on a digital project that can help investors in stocks and shares ISAs calculate the effect that fund fees could have on their investment returns. Tell us more. Well,
0: I... Started talking to a chap called David Pitt Watson of London Business School, former Hermes fund manager. He showed me some calculations that fund costs over the 40 years of a pension can take 40% off of your retirement income. And that got me thinking, hang on. Fund managers don't even tell us their costs, do they? They give you some cost, a total expense ratio, an ongoing charge figure. That's not all of it. They're under quite a lot of pressure from regulators to tell us they don't. Mr Pitt-Watson did loads of work, estimated the average fund fee is 2.2% and compounded over the life of a pension, that's 40%. And then I thought, well, this calculator must be available online, and guess what, it isn't. So you Um,
3: invented one.
0: Yeah, financial services companies provide calculators, but the maths behind them is extremely misleading. I looked at one from a fund platform provider, Shan't name them. It says that if you put £15,000 into your ISA, it will grow to £30,000 over 10 years. That sets a projected performance of the fund of 7% a year, and that's after costs, which according to Mr. Pitt Watson, means your average fund manager, according to this calculation, is making 9.2% a year for you before his costs. And I think that's just not possible. So investors have to be really careful what they use online. And our tool, I think, gives them an honest solution.
3: And what does the FT's tool actually show you? You can play
0: around with it. So say you've got money to put into your eyes, so you want to put it into funds. You don't know actually the costs of your funds, but you can assume it's between 2 and 3%, not what the fund managers will tell you, but obviously they're not regulated to tell you this at the moment. And you can play around with the button based on how much money you've got to put in and how long you want to invest it for. And you can say, OK, well, if I think this fund UK income is going to return, what, 3 4% a year? The costs are probably 2.2%. Oh, I'm going to lose most of my money. I won't go into that. But what I might do is go for a tracker where the costs are like 25 basis points, a quarter of a percent. And so it can help you and it can also help raise awareness. I want investors to know because much in the financial media Much in the brochures that fund platforms will send you about fund management is about the stars, the high performers. Aren't they great? They're going to make you money. Mm, They're also going to make themselves a lot of money. So I think we need a huge focus now on the costs of the industry and not only the performance. A star is only a star if he doesn't take most of the money that you've gained.
3: Okay. well, thanks very much. That was Micah Curry of Fidelity and the FT's Naomi Rovnik. We will be publishing an eight page special report this weekend on how to invest in ISAs. And you can access the FT Money Fund Fees Calculator now at wwwftcom fundfees. We'd love to know what you think about the consequences of Brexit, the start of ISA season, or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch via email, our address is money at ft.com, or you can tweet us at ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com/slash money. There's just time to tell you what else will feature in this weekend's issue: Merrin Somerset, where bangs the drum for Brexit, I consider the prospect of working till I'm 80, and as usual, we have the latest share tips and director's deals from the Investors Chronicle. The Money Show was produced and edited in London by Naomi Rovnik and Adam Palin. We will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me and our studio guests. Goodbye! goodbye. goodbye.